And if uh, you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2, 42 through uh, 47 is kind of where we've been uh, in this series. We're finishing up today, as I mentioned earlier, this series called Discover Meaning. And, and it is, uh, and that's funny, Siri picked up when I said that on my iPad. Uh, so uh, we're finishing this series where we're trying to figure out where do we discover meaning. And I don't know about you, for me, uh, and I think for most people, it is so easy to try to define who we are and where we get our worth by, by what we do with our hands, by our accomplishments, our achievements, whether they be personal or spiritual. And I've told you in my life over the years, I've had different ways. I've always tried to, to measure up whether it was like, you know, I told you I'm, I'm not a good fisherman. And so if I was trying to fish with the guys a couple of weeks ago and had to measure up to that, I, I couldn't do it. I never been good building things with my hands. And so we just always have had these things in our life that we feel like we're a little bit behind. A few years ago when I lived in Georgia, we were taking a family vacation down to Disney World, and I was driving from Atlanta uh, down I-75 toward Disney, and uh, there were 10 of us. We had rented this van. There were 10 of us in the van. It was all of my family, all of uh, my brother's family, my mom and dad, and we were kind of driving through the night. I don't know. It's probably 11 o'clock at night, and I'm the one driving, and my dad's sitting beside me. Most everybody else is asleep behind, and all of a sudden, my dad out of nowhere goes, Patrick, and I'm like, as I'm driving, I'm like, what? Like, you know, something about to hit me. He's like, you have passed 76 cars. Only two cars have passed you. Why do you always have to be in the lead? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like, but it was like, as I'm sitting there, I think I'd want to just like to drive fast. But like, I had this idea of like, I always feel like I'm behind. I pass a car and there's another one up there. They're like, I got to go past it. Like, and maybe we feel that way in life sometimes when we try to find meaning. We're like, oh, I accomplished something, but now there's the next thing that I got to do. And it's this rat race, this hamster on a wheel that we live our life if we think that all we are defined by is by what we can accomplish and what we do with our hands or our mind or our achievements in this world. Video game world is built off of this, right? You get to one level, and then guess what? There's another level, and then another level. And you're like, no, I got it. Now. They're like, nope, you got to go back. And then even once you finish the game, there's like, then there's these six hidden levels that you have to go back and do as well. I can tell you, I, where I got off of my addiction to video games was one day I was playing The Sims. I don't know if you play video games, but The Sims is like this. It's called The Sims because it's a simulation of life. And you have this character that you can mold to look like you. You can develop goals for him. You can tell him to wake up, take a shower, work out, go to work, eat, go to the bathroom, all this kind of thing. Like, I'm sitting here, and I was like, for the last six hours, I've been telling this sim how to live life while I sit in a chair being lazy on my butt. Like, what is wrong with me? And I was caught in this cycle of, like, just one more thing, just one more day. And that's not just a video game. We are like that in life as well. And what I want to challenge us with in this series as we bring it to an end is, is, is to set that down. Don't let that be what motivates you, what pushes you forward. And instead, what we've said is this. True meaning in life is discovered in relationships. God made us. He formed us to connect with him and other people. And we talked a few weeks ago that the first thing we got to do is find, learn how to connect in relationships that bring harmony into our life. How can we connect with people that are not like us, that have a different belief system than us, 
that are outside of the faith, but how can we also connect deeply with those that are inside the faith as well and live in harmony with each other? And then we talked a couple weeks ago about relationships that will develop us through community, that we start to actually open our lives to one another. We start to engage with one another, and we start to expand our experiences beyond just myself, and we invite other people into our lives and realize this life is not designed to be done alone. And then last week we talked about these relationships that equip us to help us understand things better, to grow an understanding, to strive to be a leader and a learner, to understand that we're to connect with people for both pleasure and for purpose, that that's the way God designed it for us to live in harmony and community and grow an understanding. But these things happen in relationships. Imagine for a minute if you didn't have relationships with other people. Just imagine it. Imagine what your last week would have been like if it was just isolated, just you, all by yourself. I can usually last about 48 hours when Katie's out of town or if I'm out away from Katie. Like, I'm like, ah, the bachelor life, right? I'm like, you know, I don't have to make up the bed. I can leave the dishes in the sink, whatever bachelor life is. Like, why is it the bachelor life? I don't know. But, like, about 48 hours after that, I'm like, Where's my wife? Like, I need my wife. Like, it's, my life is not complete without her. And we, I look back and I think about, you know, what it would be like to not have that level of intimacy and companionship. But not just with her, but with, with friends, with my kids, with, with other family members. God designed us to do this. What if we didn't have anyone to share good news with, to receive encouragement from, to get counsel from? What if we had nobody to argue with, nobody to love, nobody to aspire to be like? This would be a life of empty meaning. And this is why meaning is found in relationships. And this is why we've been studying this section of the book of Acts. Now, if you're, if you're just jumping in, this, this book called Acts in the Bible is kind of a weird name for a book. But it's actually called the Acts of the Apostles. It's really this this story of like what happened to Jesus' disciples after Jesus was arrested, killed, and then crucified, and then raised from the dead. Like what did they do after that? It's their Acts. It's a story, this gathering, and then especially around Paul. And I love this because these few verses that we've been looking at are kind of the initiating point of this, of what got them going. And so let's look again at Acts 2, 42 through 47, and just refresh ourselves with this. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayers, and all came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. As we hear this story and you hear about the togetherness and the uniqueness and how they connected with one another, this is the same story that should be playing out in our life. This hasn't been a study that we've been going through to, like, create a checklist. Like, all right, all right, I have this friend, I have this friend, I have this friend. Like, I got enough friends now. I'm good. I don't need any more. This is not a checklist of, you know, do I have the right people in my life? That's not what this is designed to do. It actually is a calling for us to begin to lead out and start living out 
of these relationships that God is putting into our life. Where basically now we have the opportunity as we've internalized Galatians 2:42 through 47 to begin to start living out the second chapter of Acts. Like what if we were going to write a story about what would happen in our lives now that we would begin to embrace meaning through relationships the same way the apostles do. One of my favorite movies and books is The Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you're into that, but uh, in, at the end of one of the movies, I think it's the second movie, you have Sam and Frodo, like, traveling, about to head into their final destination. And it's like this, you know, the cool music in the background, these two little hobbits walking together. And Sam says this. He's like, Frodo, I wonder if they'll ever write stories about us. I wonder if they'll ever sing songs about us. These two seeming meaningless characters in history become the central point of that fantasy world. And the truth is, is you and I have the opportunity, just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, all these people in the Old Testament, we have the opportunity to live out and find meaning just as they did and to write another chapter of the followers of Christ. I don't know that they'll ever write about a, a book about us, this church, or you, or me. That's not why we do this. But what if our act, living out and finding meaning changed our life in such a way that people had to talk about it? That's what it's talking about here. And at New City, I want you to hear this. We have a firm belief that every Christian is called to be a leader. It's called to lead. It doesn't mean that we all have to lead in the same way, and it doesn't mean that God is calling us all to to lead in the same thing, but it's that we are all called to lead something in some way. One of the biggest struggles we have in our Christian faith is actually a lack of leaders. There's a lack of leaders not because there aren't enough leaders, it's because people don't have a right view of biblical leadership. We have this idea that I'm not a leader, I can't be a leader, somebody else is a leader of the church, or somebody else is a faith leader, And today I want you to hear something very clearly. If you're a believer in here this morning, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, you are a faith leader. You're a faith leader, period. There's no initiation that you have to go through. There's no training that you have to, you know, badge or certificate that you have to take on first. When we begin to follow the king of this universe, the creator of this world, and we place our faith in him, we get the calling to be leaders of people of faith. We are people of faith that get to lead other people. And so today what I want us to do is to take this idea of what holds us from embracing Acts 2.42. What keeps us from actually finding these kind of relationships, living out in harmony, community, growing in understanding, and then eventually finding purpose in such a way that it's making an impact in the world? What are these myths that we buy into that keep us from doing that. And the first myth myth that I want you to see is this, is we believe this, only certain people people can be leaders. Only certain people have the ability to be leaders. If I asked you around this room right now, I imagine most of us us would say something like this. You know, I feel, this is why I feel woefully inadequate to be a faith leader. Like, I've only been a Christian for this. I've never studied the Bible really in depth or, you know, I don't pray three hours every morning, like all these other faith leaders that like, I don't, I don't pray three hours in the morning. Like I, I, I don't know how I would do that. Like, it, it, like it's just, we have this idea that there is some kind of checklist that faith leaders have to embrace in our life to actually 
be a leader. And it's not true. We think it's pastors, priests, or missionaries. These are the people that devote the entirety of their life to spiritual things. They are the only ones that are faith leaders. But in honesty, the Bible says something different. I want you to hear that this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, 1, 4 through 7 says this. It'll be on the screen. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but the same God who, what, empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This passage talks about this idea that I love the word that it uses, variety. One of the things we say at New City, New City Church is this. We are committed to being a people that embrace unity, not uniformity. We're, we're not about everybody looking the same, acting the same. You know, whatever I do, you have to do. We're about unity, not uniformity. And this, is, this comes out of this verse. He says there are a variety of services, activities, and gifts, but they all come from the same Lord. They all come from the unity of God. But they give them to everyone for us to lead out of those. So I want you to hear something this morning. When you became a believer, you became a new creation with a purpose to lead people by your example of being faithful, by being a person of faith, becoming a person, an instrument of reconciliation. There's a couple things under this that I want you to grab. One is this. God has given every believer a gift. He talks about this in verse 4 and 5. And this is one of numerous passages in the Bible that talk about how you and I have received a gift. Each of us are gift and tasked with a purpose. These gifts don't have gender restrictions. They don't have specific pairings. This one doesn't go with this one. The one common thing about these gifts is their source is they all come from God. And I made a list, and you'll see it on the screen. I want to run through it right quick of what is a typical list of spiritual gifts. Now, before you're like, oh, my gosh, i got to write all these down right quick. If you will go to new-citychurch.com slash gifts, it'll take you to a page where you can get this, all the definitions, and you can actually take a test that will help you identify what spiritual gifts you might have, where God may have uniquely gifted you. So you can go to that website. Uh, it'll be up all the time. There's no, it's a free test. You'll have to create an account. Uh, all the instructions are on there, but it'll give you results of maybe what are these are, but what are these? There's the gift of administration, which is helping organize, plan, direct people. There's the gift of apostle, who basically helps take the gospel into new frontiers. There's the gift of discernment, which helps people distinguish truth from error. There's the gift of evangelism, which means somebody who is a messenger of the good news. There's the gift of exhortation, which is somebody who is an encourager to other people. There's the gift of faith, which is somebody who truly, deeply believes the power and the promises of God. There's the gift of giving, someone who wants to give their respect resources freely and cheerfully there's a gift of healing which is somebody who helps make others whole physically spiritually emotionally or mentally there's a gift of knowledge which is somebody who easily internalizes the truth of god there's the gift of leadership which is able to motivate other people there's the gift of mercy which is means you're sensitive toward the other suffering there's the gift of miracles which reveal the presence and the power of god there's the gift of pastor and shepherd which is responsible for the spiritual care of others there's a gift of prophecy where we speak about the truths of god 
boldly. There's the gift of service and ministry where we see undone tasks and we welcome people wholeheartedly into the faith. There's the gift of teaching where we're able to communicate the Bible in a logical and systematic way. There's the gift of tongues which allows us to communicate in varied languages or in way into communities that we don't connect with naturally. And then there's the gift of wisdom where we can apply spiritual truths in relevant manners. When you see this gift list, this is the church. This is the church, that list. Like we don't get to pick and choose. We don't go like, all right, which five of those do we want? And let's just be that. We need all those. And can I tell you something? I have a firm belief that we got all those covered in here. That as we are a body of Christ coming together, we can do all those. We can administrate things. We can take the gospel into new places. We can care for people. We can do all of these kinds of things. We understand we're all gifted. But the second thing I want you to see is this, is that wherever you are gifted, that's where you're actually called to be a leader in. If God's given you the gift of exhortation, guess what? You get to teach us how to encourage people. If God's given you the gift of administration, then you can help us learn how to organize things better. If God's given you the gift of of evangelism, then it's not like, hey, you're the only one in here who can talk to other people about Jesus. Like, you help us understand how to do that effectively. This is what it means to actually understand that we are all leaders. Not certain people, but we are all leaders. But the second myth we buy into is this is that, well, all right, if I'm a leader, guess what? I got some past failures or current limitations that keep me from being a leader. Patrick, if you actually knew about my past, or if you knew what I was struggling with right now, you wouldn't want me to be leading anybody else. And we believe this. But 2 Corinthians 12, 9 tells us something different. It says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I love this verse because it's so refreshing and encouraging because I want you to hear this. God's call for leaders is not a call for perfection, but it's a call for submission. It's a call for submission. Allow him to shine in your weakness. Don't boast in your ability what I can do. I love what he says. I will boast all the more what? In my weakness. Where he shines through me. I love the idea of redemption because redemption means this. It doesn't mean that God takes the worst of you and gets rid of it. All right, so let's say you struggle with greed or lust or anger, jealousy. God doesn't say, all right, I'm just going to take that and throw it out. That's not redemption. Do you know what he does? He takes the worst of you. Here's what redemption does. Takes the worst of you and he redeems it into the best of you. So if you struggle with lust, you know what that's a perversion of? It's a perversion of love. And so when God redeems that and you allow him to shine through your weakness, you begin to understand love in a deeper manner than maybe you ever did. Or what's the redemption of greed? It's generosity. What's the redemption of anger? It's actually passion. Right? And this is how God changes. He doesn't remove things. He redeems things. And this is how we see how God changes us from broken people to valuable assets for his kingdom as leaders. 
Think about it in the Bible. There, this Bible is full of examples. Jacob in the Old Testament, he was a thief. He stole the birthright of his brother, and yet he became known as Israel. Like his name actually became the name of the nation. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Jonah was a deserter. Peter was a liar. And Paul was a persecutor. But when we think about all of these people in the Bible, they were redeemed for the purpose of God. I want you to hear very clearly this morning. There is nothing in your past that is unredeemable. There's nothing that God cannot turn and shift and shape if you submit it to him. This isn't talking about what I'm good at. It's actually allowing God to take what I struggle with and turn it into a strength, which helps us then understand the next point that is this. Our previous failures actually help to shape us as for our future leadership. You know where I learned, who I learned the most from? is somebody who's been through a struggle and experienced the redemption of Christ on the other side. It's not somebody who said, you know, I've always had this together. I was just born this way. I don't know that I could learn much basketball from LeBron James. All right, I can learn some, that that dude was just born with some abilities that none of us in this room, to my knowledge, uh, you know, obtain. Like, so I, there are things I can't get to him. But there was a guy, I remember I grew up, when I was growing up in Atlanta, there was a guy who played basketball for the Hawks, a guy named Spud Webb. Spud Webb was like five foot ten, like, and he played in the NBA, and he actually won a dunk contest. Is the insanity of it? And this guy, like, he was a scrapper. He had to figure out how to do things and learn. Th- That's a guy I could learn basketball from. Somebody who was not as naturally gifted as the most gifted person, but somebody who had to struggle and work for it. That's you, and that's me. When we allow our failures and our weaknesses not to become limitations or liabilities, but to actually open us up to what God intends for us to lead other people into. I get so frustrated in my own life, and I get so frustrated in other people's lives when we allow our failures to limit us. And we think of it as a cap that God has put on me. Like, ah, I cheated on my wife before. I've done this, I've lied, on, I've lied this, or I've done this. Like, I've done some really bad things, and we just put the lid, like, God is done with me, I'm on a shelf. Can I tell you that God has never put you on a shelf? God will never put you on a shelf. Take yourself down on that shelf and allow God to take that cap off, redeem your struggles, and use it to lead other people through the journeys that you have been through. But there's a third myth that we buy into, and it's this, is that I also have to have everything figured out and know all the answers to be a leader. Like, Patrick, I could never do what you do. Like, I could never study the Bible, get those answers, and communicate. Guess what? You don't have to do what I do. Remember that whole list? I do some of those things. There's a lot of stuff on that list of gifts I don't do. I'm not good at. I need some of you to teach me how to do. So we can't, nobody will ever have it all figured out. Look at Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it says this. Therefore, my beloved, if you, as you have obeyed, always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work your good pleasure. It's the idea of continuing to work out your salvation. I want you to hear something very clear this morning. If you come to me and you tell me that you have everything figured out in our faith, that doesn't make you a leader. It makes you a liar. All right? 
None of us in here have it all figured out. None of us in here will ever have it all figured out. As soon as somebody comes up to you and says, I finally got this faith thing figured out, you're like, you're the last person I need to listen to. Well, when somebody comes with questions, somebody comes and like, I need help understanding. Those are the people we need to engage with because here's a couple of things that are true. God is continually growing us in our faith. Continually. Every day, every struggle, every trial, every blessing, he is growing us. When we are having current learnings in our life, that's when we're actually being a current leader in our life. I love walking through struggles with people. I love talking through difficult times that they're actually walking through because that's when the most learning is happening. Not after the fact, not before, but while it's happening. So we have this opportunity to understand God is continually growing our faith. And the second thing is this. We talked about it this a little bit last week. The best leaders are the best learners. If you stop learning, you will stop being an effective leader. The most effective leaders are not the ones who've always tried to prove their authority to me. This is why you should listen to me. Instead, it's those people who are constantly demonstrating to me in their life a willingness to learn and seek out other authorities in their life. I, I don't seek out people who, I, who view themselves as authorities. I seek out people who are constantly seeking out other authorities to learn from. And that's the type of people we should be. So I want to close today with a, how do we make this a little more personal for New City? How do we actually then lead at New City? We could spend the rest of the time talking about leadership principles. There's been more books written on that than probably anything else. There's whole sections on leadership. So I'm not going to give you six leadership principles, but I'm going to give you some very specific things that you can actually do with whatever your giftedness is to actually begin to lead here at New City. And the first thing is this. How do you become a part of the body, this faith family? Is initiate ministry. Initiate ministry. The first way you can lead is to look at your gifts, look at your talents, your passions, your background, and look at these things and see what natural ministry initiatives could I do, could play out in my life. Like what am I passionate about that our church is not doing yet or that I can lead our church in? Like, it's not just giving an idea. Initiating ministry is that you actually take that idea and make it happen. Put it to work. So, can I tell you how most churches work? A congregation like this sits out there, and somebody will come to the pastor, to a staff, and they'll uh, say, Pastor, I had an idea. We should start a softball team. Like, I love softball. And so, if the church could, uh, you know, give us a couple thousand dollars to buy jerseys, We'll go play. It basically asks the church to fund their hobby, right? And I'm like, you know, I'm not saying playing softball together is a bad idea. But here, that's how typical churches work. The guy, the staff member will then take that idea and make it become reality. Here's how our church works. If somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, I've got an idea. I think we should go play softball over at Roosevelt Island. I'm like, great idea. You got it. Go for it. Make it happen. Like, I, it's not my job. Here's why I want you to hear that. It's not my job to make your idea come alive. Because if it is, I'm stealing the joy that you're going to get from making that happen. And I don't want to do that to you. I don't want to do that to you. It's not that I'm lazy. It's not that I don't want more work to do. But I got my own ideas. I got things I'm passionate about I'm trying to lead us in. So if you got an idea, 
initiate ministry. Come talk to us about it. The question is, what has God gifted you to do as part of this body of Christ? And make it happen. But the second way you can lead here is this, is to begin to invite other people. Many of you are here because of a personal invitation or maybe you saw a sign or a poster uh, or, or handed a postcard or you came to an event. Uh, the Tollivers that aren't here this morning, uh, I joke, I used to always say, nobody is ever going to come to church because of, in New York because of a sign. And we had, we had been in this uh, facility about two weeks, and Paul and Teresa Tolliver walk in, and uh, I said, hey, I'd never met him before. I said, hey, how'd you guys hear about us? He said, well, I live across the street. And I'd been praying, God, I need to kind of get back into some spiritual things. And he says, I was actually praying, kind of looking at my window, and I looked down at the street, and there was a sign for your church. <laughs> and like he said, all right, God, I guess I'm coming. And so they've been a part ever since. And uh, But most of us are actually here, not because God literally sent a sign for us, but because we connect with other people or we got to know somebody or we learned about this community in some ways. And one of the ways we lead here is to begin to do that for other people, to use our influence to invite other people to be a part of this. Now, I want to tell you, there are a lot of people in my life that I am building a relationship with that are not ready for the big step of the invitation to come to church yet. And so I'm not telling you, hey, walk out of here with your top 10 list this week and be like, all right, you know, I'm going to get 10 people at church. If you bring 10 people next week, great. Uh, we'll bring the bagels back. All right. No, I'm just like, if you bring, but here's what I, here's what I have learned. The, the easiest way to invite somebody is what I call the step method. Instead of asking them to take one big step, ask people to take a lot of small steps. So here's how, I, here's my steps that I usually work with people. And some of you be like, oh, you did this with me, you know. And, uh, but I, like I usually invite somebody out to drinks or dinner first. Let's go grab a coffee. Let's go grab something. Let's, let's go hang out. Like, do we actually like each other enough to hang out with one another? So we go do that. Like, and we just, like, it's not like, and at the end of that, like, I'm like, all right, I like you. This is not like a first date where at the end I'm like, would you come to church with me next Sunday? Like, I know it's just like, would you actually like to, you know, hang out again sometime? Our families do this again, very low key. But then I invite them to some social event where there's other people from the church there. So it's not even like a church function, but I might invite these people and then say, hey, Chase and Tara, why don't you guys come out to dinner with us as well? And now we're hanging out with a group of people and they're like, oh, you, you guys connected at this church? Yeah, you know, we were able to tell our story a little bit. Then we give a step where I invite them to something like that community connect we do on Mondays. First, sun, first Monday of the month, usually, like we did at Centro last time, where it's a church event, but we're still not preaching at them. It's a social gathering where they're learning more, connecting with people inside the church. Then I might actually invite them to come serve with me first. Come volunteer at the park. Come volunteer at crew with us. Do something with us where you're starting to use your gifts and then I would invite them to something like a appropriate worship gathering, somewhere that they could, maybe it's Easter. Maybe it's a Sunday after the carnival, or maybe it's, hey, this is a series, I know you would like this. And we connect with them that way. Give people the opportunity to say yes to small steps, and you might be surprised. One day, they may actually, actually simply invite, ask you to invite them to church. That happened to me this week. I met this guy through Chase, a guy named Neil, downtown, and we've connected a few times. We had met after work a couple of times. We've 
texting back and forth. We've done some things chasing him, and I hung out the other night. Me and another, a friend of mine that was out of town who's a believer, we all hung out together. And at the end of that, Neil was texting me, and here's, here was his literal text to me. Hey, man, invite me to your church sometime. I'd like to come. I'm like, it doesn't get much easier than this. So I, I was like, all right, you're invited to church, you know. And so I was hoping he might be here this morning, but he's, he's not. But this is the, these are the simple steps that we take to invite. And so I want to challenge you not to think of 10 people that you can invite, but maybe who's a family, who's somebody at work, who's a, who's a neighbor that you can walk through 10 steps of inviting to church. Because our goal, I'm going to tell you, our goal is not to fill up this room. That's not my, let's just see how many people we can get in. Our goal is to grow a family and a community where we're connecting and we know one another. And that happens because people would walk in here and they would desire to want to grow deeper in relationship. So who has God given you influence with that you can invite to our faith family? And the third way you can lead here at our church is to invest your resources now, if you've been around New City for very long, you know we are not a church that constantly asks for money. Like, we take up an offering, but we're not every, you know, you got to do this, got to do this, or we don't charge dues. We, I've had people show up at church one time and, like, well, they want to pay for child care. And I'm like, no, it's, it's okay. It's a free service we give to you. They're like, free child care will be every week, right? No, it's, and uh, we've had people come in, and they, like, they've asked me how much I charge to baptize people. And I'm like, it's free. It's, you know, there's some steps you got to take beforehand, but how much are you willing to pay? No, I, no, no. Uh, so, but, so we're not that kind of church. But uh, because we believe this, if you find value in being part of this family, you're going to invest in this family because you're going to buy into what we're doing and you want more of it to happen because the truth is it does take financial resources to operate a church. We have to rent this school. We have an office space. We have to pay liability insurance. We have equipment that we have to buy it. It costs money to do this. But we also have a firm commitment to try to make sure that well over 50% of the monies that we receive through tithes and offering goes outside of us, goes to missions. Since we have begun as a church, we have financially supported six other churches around North America in some way. Some we regularly give to, some we give a one-time gift to. And we also have tons of partnerships with organizations that are helping people that have been marginalized because of their ethnicity, social standing, a sickness, an illness, sexual orientation, or political conflict. We are investing in organizations that are investing in other people. However, these investments can only be made as those of us who gather continue to invest our resources in the ministry here. And the commitment we make to you is this, is that we will be good stewards of the resources that you give. Every year we give an annual report anytime that you would want to see how resources are spent. You're welcome to see that. But the goal is this. We're not trying to create a, a pile of money to sit on and be like, hey, what can we? Like we, don't, we don't have that much money in our checking account because we, we spend it all on things. Because we want to do things for our neighborhood and our, our community and our nation and the world. To make it known. And the thing I would all, you always hear me say whenever we talk about money is this. Is I do not believe, I firmly do not believe that New City Church should be the only recipient of your generosity. There are other organizations and there are other needs that you know of personally that if you can meet, meet them. If your neighbor 
needs their electric bill paid, guess what? You don't have to give that money to the church and like launder it through the church so that we can then pay their bill. If you got the resources to pay, pay their bill. Again, here's what I do not ever want to do. I don't want to ever steal the joy of your generosity. I don't want to make you feel like you got to give money to the church only, and then I get to sit up here and determine how to be generous with it, and I get the joy of that generosity. So the church should never be your only source of generosity, but it should be a source of your generosity as you connect. And so the question is this, how has God blessed you to provide resources for our faith family and the ministry here? question I want to close with you today is this. Would you step into being a leader here at this church, in this faith family? And again, probably most of us are like, no, 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 Patrick, with those myths come right back to the top. Would you set those myths aside and say, what ministry can I start to initiate? What gift do I have? And how can I begin to use that? Who can I begin to invite to enlarge this faith family? And how can I invest resources that I have? Would you step into being a leader? Would you join me as we pray?